0: Welcome to episode two of Maritime Matters. I'm Captain Morgan Dewicky, and again I have here with me President Eric Dewicky of the Northeast Maritime Institute.
1: Hey Morgan. What's
0: going on? So uh, we have a, a topic we'd like to discuss today and that's adaptability. Um, a lot of crazy things going on certainly in the world and um, I think one thing we've had to observe uh, over the past few weeks is, is you know this concept of being able to adapt uh, to ambiguous times and, and things that are going on. You just don't know what the right thing to do is, but you go at it and you attack it and you do your best. And, and, uh, you just got to be courageous. You got to be a bit courageous. And, um, so I think it's a topic we'd like to discuss. Um, certainly when we bring kids in for sale training, that's sort of the core of our program is adaptability and it's teaching people to overcome their fears and, be able to work outside their comfort zone. And I think a lot of our industry is working outside your comfort zone. Um, You got to be able to fare a storm, so to speak, and and get through the rough waves and the rough times. And um, I think we're doing well and it's been exciting. Uh, It's been nerve wracking, but um, I think people are adapting and they're overcoming. So uh, what I'd like to do today is kind of talk about current events, but compare them to sort of your experiences at sea. Um, We'll take a look at sort of how the industry is reacting. Um, Yesterday, we had some crazy news uh, with the oil industry, and um, I think shedding some light on how companies are reacting to that and sort of overcoming some of those obstacles um, is something people probably want to hear about. So um, why don't we kind of jump right into that topic to start and... uh, So to give people some background, um, yesterday, the the oil uh, futures uh, prices dropped pretty heavily um, due to the lack of oil demand globally, um, which is pretty significant. Uh, It's a little bit scary, but um, tell us about sort of what companies are going to be doing to react, um, how they're going to be maintaining jobs and and really overcoming uh, the short-term uh, in order to sustain themselves for the long term.
1: Sure. So I, I think, in the sense of oil, you know, the demand certainly dropped because of COVID nineteen. Um, there's less automobiles on the the roads. There's less need for energy. That's kind of insignificant as much as there was overproduction. Yeah. Right. So you have this war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. In trying to outmaneuver one another and, and really force a price war. Yep. And in fact, it blew up on them. Yep. So uh, the rest of the world has to deal with it. But you know, as I said to you yesterday, um, there is a new world order. Yep. Um, there is no question about it. We are a family that grew up in the oil industry. Um, for generations and generations, it started here in Fairhaven um, with, with Standard Oil. Um, we absolutely know that there is a new world order taking place. Um, oil production is, has been very vital for our global economy. And this shift is going to be huge. It's going to be immense, and we're going to have to create a whole new global economy. And what is that going to be? You know, Is that going to be in the services industry? Is it tourism? Is it education, quite frankly? Is right. it is it research uh, and development for new technologies? We don't know yet. We really don't know yet. So how does this affect the maritime industry? And we don't know yet. Right. So the ability to adapt to ambiguity is key, and, and some of the best adaptations to industrial economies is, has been incurred by the maritime sector, right? So the maritime industry really is one of these brilliant industries that adapts and they, they you know, shape up and they figure out where they're going to head. So if you look at the offshore supply industry, for example, you know they supply the drilling rigs and they go out and support. Well, they're going to have to adapt, right? So where are they going to adapt to? They're going to adapt towards offshore wind, right. for example. They're going to adapt their vessels so they can go ahead and build wind terminals and, and, and wind farms offshore. Um, that's one of the things we're going to have to do. Uh, With that, we are going to look at this homogenized industry that not only are we providing energy, but I think food is going to be one of the critical factors in the future of maritime operations. Food is going to be essential and clean food and and food that is sustainable and not uh, ruining nature uh, in the sense Okay, so where does food go? You've, you've certainly got aquaculture and sustainable aquaculture. But you are also going to be looking at, at, at proteins such as shellfish. And, in fact, fish can be grown at sea. Um, there's been you know, strides in, made with certainly the salmon industry, but that's been, been controversial. But there's even the opportunity to grow Atlantic cod at sea. In, in these new vessels, and, and it's pretty fascinating when you see some of the technologies that are being created to create fisheries. But the other thing is we're dealing with um, that the world has to tackle as not only the maritime industry, but the world as a whole, is ocean, ocean acidification, global warming, and these huge algae plumes that are being developed Um, certainly in the Gulf of Mexico, certainly in parts of the Atlantic, in the Pacific, the garbage patches. We're going to have to clean up our waters. right? So this is going to be a major part of growth opportunity in the maritime sector um, with kind of forward-thinking peoples uh, in how they are going to commercialize and sustain these opportunities. So when, when I was a kid growing up, You know, it was. I grew up on tankers. You know, eighty-five percent of my career was LNG tankers. I think LNG tankers are going to play a pretty solid role over the next probably decade or two, because it is a cleaner fuel than, say, you know, the the um, petrochemicals that are being used in today's world as we know it. Uh, That has to change overnight. We're seeing this with the COVID nineteen um pandemic that because of staying at home, oh my God, the earth is clean. Right. People can breathe. We 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 are seeing a a global or a, a sustainability within nature that we haven't seen in fifty years. People wake up. You know, we, we need to really identify that in a way that is cogent to the well being of our children and our grandchildren. So how do we adapt? We, we look at these other opportunities in a way that will be configured cleanly. Mitigate travel. Mitigate airplanes traveling back and forth. You know, airplanes is another thing. I think people are going to be moving across the ocean on ships again. I really do. I, you know, if we can figure out how to uh, scrub the air, uh, on passenger liners, um, you're going to see more and more travel overseas on ships. I believe that the planes are killing our planet. That's just a cold hard fact. Airplanes are killing the planet. Sending up satellites is killing our planet. You know, there's there is more CO2 emitted on a satellite launch than an airplane for a whole year of operation. So the fact of the matter is we've got to be forward-thinking and creative. And people in the maritime sector do that, mm-hmm. and it's the coolest thing. We've adapted here at Northeast Maritime Institute by developing online training, online simulation, where we can actually conduct assessments. We, we uh, in a closely related company, uh, have designed a um, uh, a... An examination monitoring software, where for the first time in in the U.S., federal oversight of examinations can be done online. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's pretty exciting. And so here we are again. We're saving fuel. We're we're saving uh, the earth because we're not emitting so much CO2. And we're doing all the right things. We're all going to have to adapt in our personal lives. And it's really a fascinating time, while it's scary for most, and the economy is is really a mess right now, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a mess for a while. But those those one thing I always tell people about the economy is, hey guys, money doesn't disappear. Right. It just doesn't disappear at the, the thin air. Money is still out there. Mm-hmm. It's figuring out where it is and how to get it circulated and. And not in the so radical thing concepts as trickle down. Trickle down doesn't work. We all know that. We've got to you know distribute wealth in a, a much more uh, equal way. Mm-hmm. We have to create wealth distribution with with fair and equitable equilibrium, right? So that the whole of society actually gets to function and and perform. So I think one of the the most fascinating industries to promulgate growth and enhancement of certainly economy is the maritime sector you know the maritime sector had a lot to do with banking years ago mm-hmm. now it's all done through private equity and you know non-traditional ventures but man banks used to lend towards steel ships and that was kind of a cool thing that, that they would do that because it played a major role in the financial portfolios of major banks. When I was a kid, Citibank was a major player in, in lending. It used to be called the Chemical Bank of New York, actually. Um, they would finance all the ships that were being built. Um, you're, you're gonna see some of that stuff happening again. You're gonna see some of that stuff rebirthing itself conceptually. So it, it, it's, it's exciting and, and, you know, fear not. Roll up your sleeves, go to work. You know, if you're, if you're hungry, you know, grow some food for crying out loud. You yeah. know, just do what you have to do. All we need to have to sustain ourselves is a roof over our head and, and a little bit of food in our bellies. Then we need to go to work and figure out how are we going to help ourselves help others. And I think if we do that as a collective society. Uh, If we do that as a maritime or a a waterborne society, we're going to make some some great collective um, advancements for the sake of humanity. Uh, And this industry has a great role to play.
0: I think what's fascinating um, is we're kind of returning to your world a little bit with LNG, um, at least in the short term. So this adaptability Um, We have technologies or sort of ideas and concepts that uh, you were working with 25 years ago that are suddenly re-emerging. So I think LNG is sort of exposing itself as at least a transition fuel, as you said, for the next two decades. And people are already going to be able to convert tankers, existing tankers uh, for LNG. um, And they're going to be able to convert some of their existing assets, uh, which is going to be great. I think uh, because LNG is producing 30% less uh, emissions, uh, which is gonna help the earth breathe a little bit better. Um, I think we're gonna, in the near term, we're gonna return back and people are going to be demanding oil, but how do we reduce those emissions in the short term? And I think that's a great um, direction that we're heading, right, we wanna get away from those CO2 emissions. Um, So maybe tell us about the difference between LNG then versus LNG now?
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, LNG then was taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wanted to work on an LNG tanker because if it exploded, it had the, the uh, candle power of 10 hydrogen bombs. And, you know, people were deathly afraid of LNG tankers. And, and in fact, they are the safest commercial vessels on the water. You know, And the reason is is because they were they they had they were held to such high technical standards in ship construction and and oversight and vetting processes um, only the best of the best got to work on the LNG tankers and and it was the no nonsense people and and we really uh, when I look back at it as a kid getting allowed to go work on an LNG tanker I had no idea what an opportunity that was, and I, I it was a job, you know, and got there, and man, I fell in love with it. I, I just fell in love with the whole concept of LNG. Uh, in my mind, clean fuel, mm-hmm. you know, and not as clean as it should be, but certainly cleaner than everything else, and it was a great way to um, earn a living and when I say a clean fuel, not only for the globe, but for the mariners that work on board these vessels. Um, When I worked on the oil tankers, yeah, you'd have to crawl in the the holds and, and you would butterworth, which is cleaning the tanks and muck those tanks and wear your respirators and go down. It was the most God awful work you could imagine. And I started my career as uh, a rating, or if people don't understand it in military uh, concepts, it, it's it's enlisted, right? So you're you're just a just a, a grunt. You yep. you go down there and you do the grunt work, and which was also one of the best education forms of education that I've ever had. Um, you know, L- when I got to the LNG tankers, oh my God, there was none of that grunt work. You know, it was all clean work. There was chipping and painting of the ship, of course. Um, but man, you were working with clean fuels. You you were using your head. You were taking readings and and gauging readings and, and reporting readings. And you know, the the cargo officer took those readings and and you know did his job by loading or discharging the vessel based on the data that was coming in. And it was all analog at the time. There was no digital data. Yeah. And so. Basically, that analog data had to, to uh, enroll uh, the human element in order to operate a vessel in a safe, efficient, and cost-effective manner. And so um, how is it today? People understand that it is a clean and safe operation. Um, we still have to ensure. You know, the, the maritime administrations that register these vessels, they need to make darn well sure that these vessels are operating at the highest standards of all. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it is imperative that we never loosen the grip on those high standards because it could be dangerous. Right, right. Um, but all in all, I mean, I think we're going to see more. I think we're going to see more ships using LNG as fuel um, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. um, much more efficient. You'll see vessels lasting longer, by the way. Yep. Uh, there's not as much, uh, corrosion on the engines. Um, it's a clean fuel. So I, I think that's the way to go for the next 10 or 20 years. Ultimately we're going to see, uh, electric motors. I, I just know it in my heart of hearts. I think we're going to figure that piece out. Um, we're, even if it's turboelectric, electric, mm-hmm. um, using LNG as fuel, um, we're going to see that. And, and I, I just believe that um, if anybody is going to adapt, it's this industry. Right. And I think we're going to see that in a, a very righteous way.
0: Yeah. I think we're already seeing solutions um, just a couple months into um, these sort of ambiguous times, these uncertain times. And it really is impressive. Um, sort of getting exposed to this, um, the inner workings of the industry the past few years. Um, I've had the chance to work here and and really get to know um, how significant it is. Um, I think I've grown up always surrounded by it and being on the water, but to really get to know the people and how brilliant they are, um, to get to see the policy at the highest levels. um, I mean, I just can't think of another industry that on a day-to-day, a week-to-week basis has solutions at hand um, and just such well-informed and and decisive people. Um, Can you recall a time where either working on the water or just the past 25 years where there were ambiguous times in the maritime industry at this scale uh, or not at this scale, but I'll say, you know, I guess news wasn't as quick back then so (laughs) how would you know uh all the time what was going on but um you know we're going through a time where vessels are sort of having to lay up and they're not lay up but they're storing offshore and um things are a little slow right now so to speak um where are things going to go in the next couple months do you think
1: honestly I, i think you know the tankers are all going to be used as, as storage mm-hmm. facilities, um, with with oil at negative uh, forty dollars a barrel yesterday. Um, it, it, you know people are basically being paid to store oil on tankers. Um, there's got to be a reason for that, right? You know, and um, I think what will happen is that we will have a, a big burp in the offshore supply sector. Um, we've been expecting that anyway okay. um, for, for decades. We've, we've been seeing these anomalies occur. And while there's growth opportunities in some regions. it's um, so kind of like a market correction. It, it, it is a market correction, but we've never seen such a large or vast market correction. We, we went through the oil embargo in 1976, which everybody said there was no oil. My dad, personally, your grandfather, sat in, in a tanker offshore uh, of New York City um, for three months with a tanker full of oil. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a market correction, yep. right? And um, I'm not so sure it wasn't a forced market correction. Gotcha. Matter of fact, I know it was. Um, but, you know honestly I I know as a result of what we are seeing the earth doing right now it's going to be insane if we don't start to change how we live Mm -hmm. in what our personal needs are Uh, we've been awfully spoiled right and and you know I'm, I'm the last year of the baby boomer right and and um, I will tell you this much. The baby boomers really screwed this world up. You know, our, our, our grandparents or our parents' generation, the, you know, the, the greatest generation in the history of the United States, in fact, um, you know, they birthed a the generation that, that blew it all. And uh, I, I'm sorry for, for you, you guys and your children, but I think you're smarter than us. And, and I think you guys will fix this um we we gotta get rid of the uh, the, the what I call the meatheads and I don't mean to be political but there are some real meatheads out there that haven't really thought through the needs of others right and, and we need a culture and a society that is more humanitarian in spirit and in action right. than we have with the I me mind generation right um We think change.
0: This this sort of course of events, um, I think it's forced a lot of people to kind of accept what's going on in the world around us. And sort of, um, there's been a lot of denial, but I think now there's a lot of acceptance. And I think looking at the amount of people who have stepped back um, and decided uh, to say, "Okay, I am going to isolate. I am going to quarantine for the sake of others." I think that's pretty uplifting, uh, to be honest. I think it restores a a lot of faith in humanity as a collective. And um, there's a very small sliver minority um, who are not sort of accepting of what's going on. And that's okay. That's always going to happen. But I think as a a large majority, um, Americans at the very least are eager to Change and are eager to accept that, okay, we can't keep going like this. Uh, We need to make the changes. We need to adapt. We need to overcome. And I honestly think they're looking for direction or they're going to be looking for direction. Um, So hopefully, in a few months, um, we're going to kind of be able to know where we're at and the directions we need to take. And so I think um, being in the maritime industry uh, is unique in that. We know how to adapt. We're used to this, um, and now it's looking at sort of the rest of the economy uh, as a whole and saying, "Okay, are you guys ready to adapt? Are you guys ready to, to
1: overcome this?" Well, here here's the interesting thing, right? We, and we just discovered that you know we've got this 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 concept of nationalism and globalism, and and yet we really haven't had a taste of real globalism. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've had nations that have played significant roles in trade and commerce, but there w- hasn't been an equilibrium in production and distribution around the world. Right. Right. So I think what we're going to discover, and this is going to benefit the maritime sector greatly, and I mean vastly, is we're going to discover that we must create a trade equilibrium that actually we realize production in not just one country or one part of the world. Right. It's going to have to be in all parts of the world. And, and that's to protect the environment. And that's going to be to uh, protect the economy. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be to protect distribution practices. And we are going to see an increased representation of manufacturing in all parts of the world. And this is my prediction. You know, I don't know this for a fact, but I see it. I see it as clear as day. Right. We are going to see places that have not participated in manufacturing historically start to engage in that. And that can happen anywhere. Right. We've, We've created that. We created that that disproportionate support in other regions of the world where we became heavily dependent on one region or one nation, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. to produce all of our, our goods and products. That blew up in our face recently, Right. right? So we're going to start to see this spread and that's when capitalism works and that's when democracy works and that's when opportunities work for all. And, and we, we, we have this, this fear mongering about, you know, immigration. There's no need for immigration anymore if, if we create wealth distribution on a global level. And, and you're going to start to have to see less nationalism and more support for globalism If we are truly, we all share this earth, Mm -hmm. as I've said, and as we've produced a documentary, the ocean knows no borders. The ocean does not know any borders. Now, The the unclose uh, freaks will tell you otherwise, but the reality is the ocean knows no borders. The fish don't know any borders, right? Whales don't know any borders. So the reality is if we start to think in those terms, Our industry, maybe I'm being selfish, but our industry grows tenfold distributing and delivering goods and services. I say get rid of the the mega tankers or or the mega container ships. That's bad for the global economy. I'm sorry. That's just Mm -hmm. bad stuff. Get back down to the handy max size vessels. Redistribute have more distribution points, you're going to see our industry grow. And I think we're going to have to be forced to do that in order to have a sustainable environment globally. Again, using alternative fuels. That's the key.
0: Yeah, you want a diverse trade portfolio. Um, Global trade is what has given us this quality of life, this amount of wealth. Um, It would be naive to abandon those concepts and say, blame that for... You know, are undoing. I think um, the situation we're in. It, like you said, we kind of depended on too few trading partners, if anything. So it's it's really all we're doing is diversifying. We're thinking um, more regionally, and and I think that's the way we wanted to head, anyways. I yeah. think that's where we were heading. I think on a policy level, at least, um, at the end of the last administration, um, they were really working towards increasing trade with other ASEAN countries uh, is what the acronym is um, so I think we are kind of heading in that direction and I think it's it makes sense um, but yeah it's we're here we are adapting so um, we're, we're in a time where we're going to be forced to uh, maybe hasten uh, increase the speed at which we're making those changes so um, I think it's interesting
1: yeah no we're, we're we are going to have to hasten the process and and we've got to kind of look at the current state of affairs, um, and and we got to make immediate change. Right? You know, w- what we have today in the last three years, it just isn't working. Right. And it's 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 only working for a very select few, and that's not sustainable. Right. And, and we need to be more responsible as a society, and again, not just as an American society, but as a a Shipping society, as a global trading society, and from the standpoint of humanitarianism, if, if we are going to uh, save our earth, save our oceans, we need to do things in a much more responsible and equitable manner. And I think we all win as a result.
0: I think we'll see those those changes over the next few months. And I think we're in crisis management mode uh, as a society. Um across the globe, everyone is, it's just what's going on and what everybody's experiencing. But I think we're, in a couple months, we'll start seeing changes, we'll start seeing things move rapidly. And, um, I think in a sense, people should be excited almost. And because I think the power is in the people's hands to demand change, uh, to want change, to seek change. Um, we need to hold everyone accountable, hold each other accountable going forward, um, and and really as a collective we, as you're saying, um, look for the common betterment of society, uh, for increasing um, opportunities, for adapting what we have now to new opportunities, uh, refocusing our energies and but I think the solutions are there and. Crises demand solutions, and yeah. and we're getting there.
1: Yeah, so. now that's I, you know, it's kind of the brilliance of where we got to grow up in in the U.S. Now it hasn't been so pretty lately, right? And and pretty lately meaning the last maybe twenty years, mm-hmm. right? It's we've we've kind of lost our focus as a an equitable society, but you can feel the change and people have had enough of kind of the, the, the crazy stuff. Right? right. And the fact that we are not seen globally as an equitable partner anymore, that has to change. And, and we have to re-engage with a sense of humility. And, and, and I think we can do that. You know, I, I think we've seen such radical events over the last several years that, the collective we, as you put it, uh, have we've had enough, and we want to engage in global trade, and globalism, and and, and really having an equitable position in this world and be seen as ac- equitable trading partners. Um, we're going to do that. I I I know that. I I I have my ear to the ground close enough to understand. You know when change is in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, I've traveled to several countries. When I say several, I mean uh, almost a hundred, right? So the bottom line is we definitely know when change is occurring. And man, I've never felt such a rumble uh, than I'm feeling right now in, in our own domestic uh, arena. And And people just want to make sure that their children and their grandchildren are going to be safe that's all right. uh, that's all people want and that's all we need as a matter of fact um, so I, I see this and you know again I I'm so excited I, I really am you know with with every crisis there's several opportunities that are birthed out of crisis um, these are those times for opportunity and, and again if we do it with purity of heart, Will have success.
0: Cool. Well, thank you again for joining me and doing this uh, Maritime Matters podcast. Um, That's it for episode two. Uh, Keep tuning in every Wednesday. We're going to have future episodes. Uh, If there's a subject you would like us to cover, uh, please send us a message on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, anywhere you can find us. Um, Send in some suggestions, you things you'd like us to discuss. Eric brings. A lot of experience from the maritime field and um, it's fun to sit down and chat with you and get your perspective um, you've been through some familiar and similar things so um, having that expertise is is pretty interesting for me to hear and uh, selfishly it's it's uh, getting to hear things i haven't heard before so it's just fun.
1: real quick I, I just i i've, I've said this to uh, students that i've taught um, i say this to i've even said it in front of congress no such thing as an expert. Yep. with uh, <laughs> just experience, right? So. But it is fun to
0: hear. And uh, thank you for joining us on this subject of uh, adapting to
1: ambiguity. So. Thank you all. All right.